0: welcome to the adhd women's well-being podcast i'm kate moore youssef your host and if you've arrived here there must be a reason i'm guessing you're curious to learn more about improving your well-being alongside adhd or maybe looking for some advice or guidance to feel healthier and calmer so why start this podcast i'm a well-being and lifestyle coach eft practitioner mum to four kids and I discovered my own ADHD alongside one of my daughters at the age of 40. And now, after supporting many other women, just like me and probably you, I feel there's a need for more emphasis on well-being and lifestyle help for women with ADHD. And through the podcast, I want to offer you new insights and perspectives to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and balanced life. So wherever you are on your ADHD journey, my aim is to support you in finding the awareness and the most aligned tools to enhance your well-being, so you can make the most intentional mindset and lifestyle choices moving forwards. Ready to get started? Here's the episode. So hello, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing podcast. And this week, it's all about mindfulness and ADHD, kind of the opposite ends of the spectrum, but actually they mesh and merge so well. And this guest that I have is the most wonderful author of a book that I've had on my bookshelf for a long time that I sort of dip in and out of, and it is Dr. Lydia Zilowska. And Dr. Z or Lydia, is an associate professor at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the University of Minnesota, and is also a faculty member at the university's Center for Spirituality and Healing. And she's also an internationally recognized expert in adult ADHD and mindfulness-based therapies, which is what we're here to talk about today. And her research pioneered the application of mindfulness in ADHD, and helped co-found the UCLA Mindful Awareness Research Center. And she's been featured in all sorts of fantastic media, such as Attitude Magazine, Time, the Boston Globe, and the New York Times. And she is also an author of two books. So The Mindfulness Prescription for Adult ADHD, which I have in front of me, and Mindfulness for Adult ADHD, A Clinician's Guide. Dr. Zilovska, thank you so much for joining me. Honestly, I've been so looking forward to this conversation because I think it's going to be incredibly useful for everyone that's listening right now.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation and uh, thank you for highlighting well-being for women with ADHD.
0: Yeah, just diving in because mindfulness is such a huge part of, of well-being, but it feels like such a big topic. It's so, you know, is it meditation? Is it breath work? Is it closing our eyes and trying to relax? And then we think of ADHD and all of those things just start feeling a little bit uncomfortable and scary because quietening our mind and sitting still is very difficult for so many of us. Can you tell me a little bit about why you've kind of coined this niche of mindfulness with ADHD?
1: Yeah. And you're pointing out to something that at first, mindfulness and ADHD can seem like opposites. Mm -hmm. And so early in my work, I, I would get the question, is this a setup for failure, asking people with ADHD to do mindfulness, which is a type of meditation. It's derived from Eastern meditative traditions. But the more you understand what mindfulness is, whether it's as part of meditation practice or outside of that mindfulness in daily life, you start seeing the connection with ADHD, that it's actually a really good fit. So mindfulness is often defined as paying attention to the present moment Mm non-judgmentally. So when you look at that, it has to do with intentional attention, so moving attention to the present moment. has to do also with how you're meeting your experience, so it has to do with attitude. So I often talk about the two steps to mindfulness, of attention step and attitude step, a, a shift from what you may normally be meeting your experience, whether it's in meditation and there are different kinds of meditation. Sometimes we think of meditation as, you know, having to sit still for mm-hmm. hours and that just like raises your blood pressure when you've an ADHD person, especially if, if you have hyperactivity. Mm-hmm. Um, but mindfulness is actually quite flexible meditation practice because there's also movement practices and there's also these almost like experiments in daily life, we call it informal practice. Mm -hmm. When you do brief shifts of attention or awareness throughout the day, and you can do it many times as long as you remember to do it, and it could be just for seconds. Mm -hmm. And it's training that attention awareness muscle, however you choose to do it, whether it's meditation, maybe you've tried meditation and found it too difficult Then maybe doing it as these brief shifts throughout the day or finding your own way through it. That's what I love about mindfulness is that it is very versatile, that it has so many different ways uh, that it can be practiced or brought to someone's life. And in fact, when you have ADHD and you know, ADHD is not just one thing. People can have very different symptoms or challenges depending on the subtype of ADHD, depending on kind of your other strengths, you know, so it's really very important for someone to say, let me understand what mindfulness is, and let me find my own way to practice it. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's exactly what I was just thinking, because that is why I really enjoy using mindfulness in my daily life, because it kind of centers me back, and I can very easily be distracted, I can do three things at the same time, but not really be focusing on any of them, And then all of a sudden, I can feel like, you know, that stress response, the heart beating a bit faster. But when I, you know, you were just sort of talking about coining our own way with mindfulness. And I think just a very simple way that people could relate to is, you know, if you're having a cup of coffee, and instead of checking your emails, and doing something else, maybe reading the newspaper while you're drinking your coffee, maybe just sitting and just drinking your coffee and holding onto the mug and feeling the temperature and smelling just something like that for five minutes can just be really useful. And so it doesn't have to be a whole sitting in a dark room and, you know, having to focus on on your breathing for 20 minutes. It can just be little pockets of mindfulness. Right. Exactly. And I, I think that's very
1: empowering for those with ADHD or anyone you know who's starting to practice mindfulness to know that you can start in these small ways and sometimes it becomes the way you practice mindfulness and you don't have to feel guilty if you don't meditate sometimes people have that feeling you know meditation it's another busy thing on my to-do list so just to be clear i think meditation is a wonderful way to get to know mindfulness. So I often tell people, if you have a chance to join a class, if you have a chance to do a retreat, do it. And doing it with others is really a way to to experience meditation because if you do it on your own and you're new to it, it may be a little difficult. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to be in a group when you're supported by the energy of the group and also what people are sharing and their maybe difficulties or their experiences with it that kind of normalize your own experiences and so especially doing it maybe in a group of those with ADHD would be would be wonderful but you know what you were saying is these brief moments of just tuning in to the present moment to what you're doing have such value and it's because it's countercultural and it's also counter I think what um, often ADHD does is to be thinking always kind of on the go thinking of what's the next thing sometimes people refer to it as being an automatic pilot you're just doing things without really being present just out of habit often within the mindfulness world we say you know we're often in our minds either thinking about the past or the planning the future but not here and now but that's really what we have in our lives is is here and now so the ability to actually discover that space is tremendous. It's tremendous because it can really ground you and help you relax and just have this moment of again grounding and a little bit of of settling down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and as you do it, you often also notice how hard it is to stay with that. Like you know, how quickly my thoughts are going to start popping up or yeah. how quickly I, I feel this urge to open my email mm. um, or look at my phone. And can I actually give myself even a minute of that presence to myself or to, to this moment in my life? So, you know, doing that has tremendous value. And then if you also do that with intention to go more deeper in, in a sense of like, you could open that up a little bit and say, as I'm sitting here and being a more grounded what do I notice about myself? What other thoughts or feelings are there? So then you're meeting your yourself, this inner experience a little differently with a little bit more space. So you can learn a lot from that space.
0: Yeah. It's so bizarre, isn't it? That we're right now, you know, you and I are having this conversation. And and that's what I love about this podcast is that I'm always present. And obviously, I've got my notes in front of me but to have an hour to be present, having a conversation, my phone is always on, you know, silent. There's no distractions. I actually, you know, I don't want any distractions and that's helped me. I would say that doing this podcast is probably quite a mindful moment for me because I, it's a one-on-one conversation. It doesn't happen very often and allowing and noticing and allowing the, the conversation to evolve. And so I think that, We can be in this autopilot, this multitasking state for the rest of our lives. If we haven't got this awareness that there isn't an ability and you give us an option, I think it's an acronym called STOP. And I I really like this because first of all, it's easy to remember, but can you just tell us a little bit about what STOP stands for and how we can bring this into our daily life?
1: Yeah. So because we're, we're so often driven or responding to things around us. And as you know, our environment is so busy now with so many opportunities to be distracted by phone, the email, um, by the news. So there's often that place that we're just go, go, go. Even if you're sitting in the chair, right? Your mind is always going places. So the practice stop is an invitation to just pause for a moment. So So it's an acronym. So the letters stand for kind of each step to remind you how to do it. So S stands for stop or pause. T is take a breath or, you know, take a few breaths uh, as a way to ground yourself in, in your body. O stands for observe, observe in the present moment. And there's lots of things you can choose to observe in the present moment. It could be things like, Uh, Let me just tune into sounds. It could be I tune into the sensations of going back to the same example of drinking my morning coffee. It could be I am tuning into my body. How is my body feeling? The energy. Or you can also tune into uh, to be that observing or witnessing presence to how are my thoughts this morning? How what kind of feelings or energy am I feeling? within myself. And that could be very brief or it could be a little longer practice. So you can, you can decide on that. And then the last step, the letter P of stop is that now you proceed, you proceed with more awareness and that can really inform your next steps. And it may be that you continue doing what you decided to be doing. This is also very helpful practice. Just as you go about your day. And whether you're driving, whether you're walking, whether you're in a supermarket, whether you're cooking dinner, it's just this brief reminder to say, can you stop for a moment, take a breath or couple breaths, observe in the present moment, and then uh, keep going. But now with maybe a little bit of connection and presence.
0: Yeah, I think that's so powerful for I would say emotional regulation and and feeling calm and balanced through the day, which is something that many of us struggle with, you know, especially women who are busy parents and working and and trying to do all the things. And life feels very overwhelming when we're not in control of our emotions and and our reactions. And I think this is just, it's like a reset button, isn't it? Of just being able. And and also I think if you're a working mum and you are going to pick up your children and you've been on the go all day, very often we need that pause before we go and see our kids, however old they are, they can still push our buttons and and, and just to know that we've got that option. But also I think this is very powerful for communication and something that fascinates me personally is sort of the non-violent communication and mindful communication. And you talk about this in the book, and I think it's so important that we can improve our relationships, we can improve our um, careers by recognizing that mindful communication is accessible to us all by, by using something like, you know, stop. And the word nonviolent communication, it sounds a bit kind of obscure, but if you're able to just kind of condense it into a, an explanation so people can understand how they can bring in more mindfulness into their day-to-day relationships, that would be really helpful.
1: Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned something um, just a moment ago about self-regulation. So I just want to emphasize that ADHD is very much a self-regulation difficulty, both on the level of regulating attention, regulating emotions, and then even regulating your actions. And so it really helps to bring um, some skills into that self-regulation skills. And you could think of mindfulness as self-regulation skill, because that the awareness gives you those, um, you know, those moments of deciding, you know, how can I meet myself a little differently? I can redirect my attention. I can help my emotions to calm down a little bit, or at least I start acknowledging that I'm really, you know, revved up. And then I can do something to bring down this sense of reactivity or stress that's present. And when you, in the reactive place, you also communicate in ways that are maybe ways you don't want to afterwards. You know, you can, You can say things that you regret. You can say it in an unskillful way. You can, you know, have uh, maybe react with anger. It's easy to kind of let the emotions get out of hand and maybe the conversation get out of hand. So mindfulness kind of has two pieces to it. One of them is just really focusing on where am I emotionally before I even start the conversation? Like, what are my assumptions or thoughts right now in this moment? Because if you if you coming to a conversation with an agenda, and sometimes it's like an angry agenda, or you know it may be I have to um, correct this person, or it may be, or I have to make my point. Sometimes we forget to just create a space of listening and being open to understanding what is it that I'm really feeling underneath maybe the anger, and what is it that is going on for the other person. So. The nonviolent communication really came out of that understanding that oftentimes when there's a lot of emotion or conflict, people get derailed in their communication and actually how they communicate make things worse. Oftentimes when there's a lot of emotion or conflict, there may be blaming, there may be kind of this reactive responding. And so the term of nonviolent communication came from that. And this is work by Dr. Marshall Rosenberg, who is a psychologist, writing very much about the topic. And it's often referred to also as compassionate communication. Mm. So I actually prefer that term. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Uh, Compassionate or mindful communication. And I like it because there's a lot to it. But I I like to simplify it by saying there's these few basic steps of how to start a conversation on something that is potentially difficult to talk about Mm. with someone. Something that maybe you bicker about or have conflict about. And it's not a natural way to start conversing. So sometimes it helps to maybe write it out first for yourself mm-hmm. um, before you do. So the first step of that is to try to state the problem or, or, or the situation in a non judgmental way. Just stating the facts of what is it that you're trying to talk about or address maybe give an example to contrast the two so that will bring it to life but the first step is to try to be non-judgmental and more factual than kind of coloring things with assumptions already Mm -hmm. or judgments then the second step is you talk about your feelings okay so the i statements which are Mm -hmm. not easy because often what we do is you do this you do that you don't do this so it's this you statements that we start you know bringing into a conflict but it's really focusing on I statements about what are you thought, what are your feelings in this moment? Then you connect to kind of more values or explanation. Why is this important for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you make a request of the other person. So it's not easy because you have to pull yourself back from maybe being angry and, you know, talking about the other person. And you have to be vulnerable because you have to talk about your feelings. And it's also a more gentle approach because you're making a request as opposed to, you know, saying you should do this, uh, which is more of a di- like a directive, right? So what it may be that if you're talking to a partner or maybe a child, you would say when you, so, so the one example I use in the book, I think is parents, is a mom talking to a, a teenager that is very messy. So mm-hmm. there's things everywhere, you know, socks everywhere, clothes everywhere. And you could easily imagine the parent saying, it's so messy, this is, this is a pigsty, why don't you pick this up? You know, I told you many times to do this. I mean, we could all see ourselves doing this very easily. So first of all, compassion is important. We all overreact, we all can do this. And it's already a victory if you kind of catch yourself doing it and maybe, Instead of going on for a minute, you go for half a minute in this moment. So that, that's already, I think, bringing some awareness to it. So it's not about, you know, sometimes people feel like mindfulness is about being zen and peaceful all the time. That's impossible for anyone, right? So it's it's also just knowing that human nature is to overreact, but we do have these opportunities to intervene when we're overreacting. And then it gets easier as you keep practicing it to, instead of overreacting, you notice the urge to maybe yell at your Mm -hmm. teenager and then you say, okay, how can I approach this a little differently? Um, So, all right, what's this nonviolent steps, right? (laughs) Or compassionate way to approach this. So you may say to your teenager, when I see all your stuff in the living room and in your bedroom on the floor, Right. So it's trying to say the facts, like, what is it? When your things are all over the place in our house, I feel anxious. Right. I feel um, stressed. So you're talking about yourself and then you say, you know, it's because clutter and mess really affects me. And it's really important for me to have uh, some sense of, of, of order in, in our home. And then you go to the request. Could you pay attention to this? And could you pick up your stuff right now to help me with this? So when you approach people like this, your chances of them responding in a way that's understanding and willing to respond in the way um, you're asking them to do are higher. It's not a guarantee. You're not controlling the situation by doing this. But what you're doing is you setting up the conversation in a way that the other person is less defensive.
0: Yeah,
1: right. Yeah. And instead of making them more reactive, you're also helping them be less reactive and more thoughtful, and 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 come at you know at you in a, in a little bit uh, different way. Another example is maybe a couple, and husband always drives too fast, and so the uh, his wife always says, "You drive too fast. You know this is you're gonna get a ticket. You're gonna do this." So it's this reactive mode. But if you were to say honey, it scares me when you drive this fast. So again, it's a shift to more about how you're feeling. Coming a little bit more from vulnerability Mm -hmm. um, can really change the energy between people.
0: Mm, Absolutely. It's that vulnerability and um, removing the blame, isn't it? Which, like you say, is, is removing that volatility in the conversation and hopefully bringing in the the connectiveness and also this heartfulness which you talk about because so much of what we're talking about with mindfulness is is about self-compassion, forgiveness, acceptance, loving kindness, like all these words that just feel really good to hear and good to experience and so that can have such a big impact on our stress, our self-regulation, our attention, our focus, our sleep, and it can be such a big area of our, our life if we bring it in uh, in different capacities. And this non-judgment as well, which I think is huge, because I think if we are learning to not judge ourselves and not criticize ourselves, then in, in turn stops us from doing that to other people, which I guess is is part of this sort of the mindful communication that we're talking about, because we're re- we're removing that blame from them and showing them what it's like to show that vulnerability, but then allowing things to change in a sort of more forgiving way, would you say? And that can come to us as well.
1: Yeah, I think in general, it's approaching the other person with more compassion, more forgiveness, just more, less anger and assumptions. This whole process is easier if we start with ourselves. If we start practicing with ourselves to create that non judgmental space or compassionate space. And growing up with ADHD, whether you know it or not, whether you diagnose later in life or not, can mean that people are seeing you differently or they're judging you or there's certain expectations that you're not meeting. So you're judging yourself. So a lot of people grow up with that inner critic or that, uh, you know, this voice inside that tells you to shape up, to do more, you know, I know a lot of women compensate by perfectionism. So there is that, you know, I have to do it perfect in order not to be seen as a failure or not, you know, so there's this kind of, maybe this compensation, whether it's this critical voice or the sense you should do this, you should do it that way, that that can be really uh, harsh in the end. You can be really harsh with yourself. And then judge yourself if you're not meeting some sort of standard and feel really awful about yourself and feel like you have failure. So, I mean, we do know that your self-concept can be affected by ADHD. You're, there may be more self-doubt um, when you uh, grow up with ADHD. So it's just so important to kind of wonder about that. How do I relate to myself? What is my relationship with myself? How do I respond to myself in the moments of suffering or difficulty. And that's what self-compassion is about, is how you meet yourself in the moment of difficulty, uh, of having a difficult feeling, maybe failure. And so, you know, meeting yourself instead of with criticism or maybe even numbness, some people just have numbness, that you actually start seeing yourself with this caring attitude and this compassionate attitude and say, how am I feeling? How is it for me? Or, or even say, it's okay, honey. You know, it's okay that you didn't, that this didn't happen this way, or you offer yourself some care, some compassion. And and for different people that could be different things could be some words could be a gesture, you know, even like a putting a hand over your heart. It could be just connecting with an image in your mind uh, it could be something that you connect with because of your spirituality. Mm-hmm. And so there are different ways people connect with that sense of self compassion. Uh, but it's such a key because from that, so many things, there are ripple effects. Okay. If you can meet your own feelings, your own suffering with self compassion, first of all, it helps you to transform those negative feelings instead of uh, maybe spiraling down in, into depression. You can actually move away a little bit, have some space from it. You offer yourself some self compassion. It can help mitigate that feeling and create kind of a new understanding a little bit about yourself. And so sometimes when people get stuck in a negative feeling, I tell them to try, just raise the question what if I offer myself some self compassion? And it will feel unnatural. It will feel like you're faking it maybe at times. But even just the possibility of, okay, I see my beating myself up, how would self-compassion be? And sometimes it's hard for people to connect with that. So it takes some time and that may be in therapy or really reading on self-compassion and exploring that um, if, if you find that difficult. But as you Evoke that possibility. Can I be more gentle? Gent- more, can I be gentler with myself? Can I be more compassionate with myself? What happens? And being curious about that. And through that practice, you're learning emotional regulation. you opening up opportunities to learn from difficult moments in a new way. It also helps you be with others, people suffering in a different way, more compassionate way it can also help how you're showing up in the moments of conflict or kind of tension in relationships. Because you have self-confession for yourself, you can stay more regulated and calmer in the conversation, even if someone is
0: being hard on you in some Mm way. I mean, it's so helpful for you to be able to to break that down. And I guess it's just making a bit of space, it's a bit of distance and, and allowing us to sort of observe and see what we can do in that present moment. And you've got another acronym and I love your acronyms because they're they're easy to remember. And this one is RAIN. And so the, the R is recognize the A is accept the I is investigate and the N is non identify. So when would you use this sort of practice? When would that come into effect?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I just wanna mention these acronyms are used in kind of mindfulness world. Uh, They're not just mine, but they're, Mm -hmm. you know, in many ways people have used them to make mindfulness practice more accessible. And um, stop and RAIN are similar in a way that they, they're these reminders, these acronyms are reminders to pause. Um, RAIN is more specific for moments of difficult emotions. Okay. Because it's, if you you think about stop, you know, stopping, taking a breath and observing and then proceeding, it's easier when when you're not in grips of a negative feeling. Okay. Uh, It's easier to do that sort of observing. So RAIN kind of helps you with how to observe negative emotions in a way that is, um, that has that space. It's a little bit of a perspective. So first, the R is recognized because there are times when we're stressed, or there's a feeling there, but we're not quite fully, fully aware of it, or fully acknowledging that there is. And you may be, you know, in the midst of a, of a, of a conversation, or you may be in the midst of making a decision. There is this maybe background feeling, but you may be uneasy, or maybe not so sure about what to do. And yet you may feel like, I have to make a decision. I have to do this or I have to respond in this way. So the first place is say, can you maybe make a space to tune in and recognize what's going on for you right now? Like, and, and especially what, you know, what feelings are there? And it's, it's helpful, you know, if there's fear or if there's anger, sometimes those emotions we don't acknowledge fully. Maybe there's... um you know, some need and a feeling with that need that we're, we're not used to acknowledging. So it's it first is recognize and then accept or allow, because sometimes we say, I don't, I don't want to have this feeling. I don't want to feel this way. Uh, this means I'm weak or this means I, you know, there's something wrong with me for having that feeling. So there's this emphasis, recognize and accept. Okay, just meet your feelings in a different way maybe uh, not your usual way. And, you know, we might be more comfortable acknowledging um, fear, but not anger or vice versa. So it, it may be, you know, it's kind of trying to ask yourself, how am I with this feeling? Is it okay for me to
0: have this feeling? Would sure. it be that if like our default is to suppress that anger or the default to suppress the sadness or the frustration, so are we then allowing the air of the rain is like, instead of our default of suppressing and pushing it down and doing it with resentment, we're actually sitting with that. Okay. I, there's a reason why I'm feeling angry right now. And just kind of allowing ourselves just to to be there.
1: Yeah. That's a very good way of putting it. It's a lot of us avoid difficult experiences. Okay. Sometimes in psychology we call it experiential avoidance and, you may have a mood or feeling on the surface, but there may be underneath another feeling that you're not quite acknowledging. So you're suppressing it. So this is a way of saying, recognize and allow whatever is going on, whatever feelings you may have. And then the next step of the RAIN acronym is I, which is investigate and I often say investigate, the first step is investigate in the body. You know, the body is um, so informative to us. If we, you know, if we um, engage with sort of noticing what our body is telling us, it's, it can really be kind of an eye opening, like a, almost like a window to who we are in a way. Um, because the body holds a lot of stress, a lot of feelings and emotions are processed through the body. It's not just in our minds. Um, so noticing, invest, you know, investigating in your body, what is your breath like? Where is the tension? Where are you feeling tension? Is there some, uh, feeling that you feel in the body? So, you know, emotions have body sensations associated with it. So sometimes anxiety or fear, what you will feel it more in your chest. Your breath may be more shallow. There may be like a constriction feeling. If it's anger, it may be kind of a burning sensation, whether it's like a feeling in your stomach, maybe it's more clenching of your jaw. So there, there are these reactions throughout the body when we have a feeling. So investigating in the body is, is um, very important. And it's also, as you're investigating, it's, it's saying it's just a feeling that you can observe. It's a reaction. It doesn't have to define you that you're having this feeling. So this whole process of recognizing, accepting, investigating is you being uh, a witness, you being an observer, you being this mindful observer of this event, of emotional event. And it can really help kind of step back. So the last step is not identify. So it's just reminding you to not identify, not personalize this reaction But already by taking these prior steps, you're doing that. Um, Going back to the investigation piece, you know, as you tune into your body, you can also tune into what else do I notice in my mind? Um, What thoughts or feelings are coming up? What, you know, what uh, beliefs are coming up for me? That maybe there is a judgment. Um, uh, You know, this is a wrong, I shouldn't be feeling this. And so, keep kind of cycling through these steps. Keep recognizing and accepting. And and at some point in, in this in this process, it's very important to also, um, you know, um, give yourself compassion. And and uh, and you know, the whole process is compassionate because you are saying, I. It's important for me to tune in and with curiosity and without judging myself, but sometimes what's needed is actually this extra step of, um, kind of, um, nourishing yourself with self-compassion and maybe giving yourself some, some words, you know, silently in your mind, or maybe again, it's a gesture, uh, hand over your heart to say, you know, it's okay, honey, or this is hard or, you know, um, you know, I love you. Um, whatever resonates with you uh, yeah. in that moment, it doesn't, you know, I tell people to come up with their own phrases uh, because y- you want it to be authentic um, and and meaningful to you. Um, we don't do that with ourselves very often. You know, our default or this, this automatic thing is to say critical things about ourselves, things that, you know, we're not measuring up in some way. Uh, there is that suppression of, of our feelings, of our needs uh, frequently. And in that process, you may be uh, suppressing or denying that some feelings, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm exhausted or maybe I'm angry about this, or, you know, um, there's something I need here. I need, I need a help or, you know, so, so this, this acronym helps you to pause and
0: say, well, how is it for me? Mm, yeah. I think what's going through my mind is there's a a bit of an analogy in my head of you know on our phones that we have the the slow-mo mode where you can take a video say if you're jumping in a pool and every splash you know you can you can notice but I feel like we live in our our lives in in the fast mode you know the the I've forgotten the name of it on the phone but you can like speed everything up and so if we could put life a little bit on the slow-mo mode where we notice every little movement or we notice every feeling or emotion and that's what gives us the gift of of that that moment where we are noticing that's where my resentment comes from that's why I'm feeling that tension in my shoulders because when we live with ADHD, I think, and so many of my clients, you know, talk about it is that their reactivity is like zero to 60, and they don't have any control. And then that makes them feel bad. And there's this shame cycle. And it has an impact on how they parent and how they see themselves. So I wonder it sounds to us that, we, you know, we're talking about all of this with the stop and the breathing and the recognizing that we're going to live our life on just this kind of like pause mode. But it's not like that because it's all practice, isn't it? And this could be a lifetime practice. This is not something that we do in two weeks. And then, we, we you know, this is just every day, probably failing each day, but learning something tiny each time we try it to the point where when we get to our like, you know, 80s, hopefully in 90s, that we might have, you know, a better um, level of understanding of this? Would you say that's, that's the case?
1: Yeah, that's why it's called practice, right? And uh, I think it is a practice and a journey. And it's um, sometimes two step forward, one backwards. Um, and so all all along, you need that sense of Compassion to yourself, and and in a way, not striving to master it, uh, because it's then you put pressure on yourself. It's it's more about curiosity and compassion, and just sometimes for people that is helpful to think about. You know, just bringing more of that curiosity, and those with ADHD are excellent at curiosity, right? Uh, And and saying, you know, how is it in this moment? Uh, Or how can I bring curiosity to myself? Or how is it for me in this moment? Or, you know, um, all of that can really shift uh, our typical way of going about your day. So it does feel maybe, especially for people who are you know, always on the go or like to be moving. It may feel like, oh, I can't just stop myself on the tracks, and and you know, it may feel like we're trying to get you to be like this robot that stops at <laughs> certain points. <laughs> no, it's it's really these shifts, these brief shifts um, throughout your day when you activate curiosity and when you uh, encourage yourself or invite yourself for more compassion, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, for a lot of people that um, these brief moments of of mindfulness practice really work, Uh, for some there's maybe some other activities that bring that uh, curiosity and maybe acceptance or compassion to their lives, and that could be journaling. Uh, It could be, um, um, you know, could be in the course of therapy. For a lot of people I know being in nature is a kind of a place where they more naturally shift into that uh, present moment and into that um, more kind of curious stance with what's around me. but then also you can bring it inward and see how you know, I'm away from all these demands and other people, you know say hello to yourself in a way, like, how am I? what's what's going on? And oftentimes when people are walking actually and in nature, I think it does help to process emotions. So um it there is just something about, I think about the movement and uh, um kind of your senses are are in the present moment, that it's easier to notice thoughts and feelings from a bit of a space.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think nature is is a great one, especially for me, because that's when I can notice listen to the birds and I can notice, you know, it's just, especially now it's spring and there's all the plants budding and It's really an amazing way for me to just kind of get out of my head and and just be really present. Um, I think what you've given us here are just so many great tips. You've got meditation, um, mindfulness meditations available with your book, which, again, are fantastic ways of, you know, five, six, you know, seven minutes of just, you know, coming back to our bodies, being present there's lots of different ways that we can embrace mindfulness, especially with ADHD. And like you said just then, you know, if we this, we just kind of take the notion of curiosity, which many of us are so good at, then we can hone a, a, a practice that works for us, whether it is nature, whether it is just a, a morning coffee, whether it is just sitting and being appreciative and, and having gratitude for, for just being in that moment. And, and I think it's just trying to recognize that we don't always have to be multitasking and we don't always have to be on this autopilot that there is more flexibility to be to be present it doesn't have to look one way and I think when we've got ADHD and we're told something has to fit in a box then we're like automatically dismiss it because we just know that's not possible but what you've given us here is is so much flexibility and and uh, just before we finish there's you know lots of um, neuroscience um scientific evidence that shows that we are changing our neural pathways we're, we're actually helping our brain so if you have maybe medication isn't for you if 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 something that um you know you, you've just not agreed with the, the medication or you're choosing not to then we can change the way our brain works with something like mindfulness it, it might feel so big but would you say that you know, bringing in mindfulness if we're not medicated is, is a really good way of, of moving forward positively with our ADHD?
1: Yes, I think uh, it's important to um, know that there's many different tools for ADHD and finding the right combination for yourself is important. Um, and um, I think medication for some people is tremendous, for others is um, difficult to take may have side effects. Um, you know, there's also therapy and there's coaching. There's something to be said about lifestyle and diet and exercise being really important. And mindfulness can be brought to all of these other tools as well. Uh, and um, you can also use mindfulness, uh, especially if, if the ADHD is not severe, because if it's more severe, then I I, I think it's important to consider um you know, all available tools, so you're not struggling. Um, but if, um, you know, if you um, feel like, you know, my, my my ADHD is more mild to moderate, using mindfulness can be really helpful way to um, kind to develop uh, that attentional muscle and that self-regulation ability. So you, you are learning how to be more in charge of your attention. You're more able to balance your emotions and then from that you can kind of make choices in your life that are not as affected by ADHD and along with that you're learning how to accept yourself more so there's also this more ease of I'm not just managing ADHD I'm also kind of dancing with my ADHD right and that's really important because sometimes when we talk about treating ADHD there's such an emphasis on changing things and maybe not enough emphasis on acceptance but they go together the acceptance
0: and change they're you know they're they're two sides of the same coin yeah I love that analogy of the dance because you know we're with it for the rest of our lives we might as well enjoy it and have a bit of fun and also kind of you know ease our muscles a bit and and recognize that also we're going to have bad days and we're going to have better days we're going to enjoy the music there's going to be some music we don't like so I think that um, you know, just to have more tools to our belt and and just to recognize that there are ways that we can help ourselves, you know, if if therapy or coaching isn't a possibility financially. So I just want to thank you so much for for writing such a brilliantly helpful book with amazing tools that i i highly recommend um i'm going to put the link in in the show notes but the book is the mindfulness prescription for adult adhd and it's an eight-step program for strengthening attention managing emotions and achieving your goals it's been a mainstay on my um, my desk and it's going to carry on staying there because i know that just dipping in and out for my clients and giving them you know a practice here and a, and a tool there um is, is is so helpful so thank you so much for your time today I, I really appreciate it my pleasure to be here thank you so much so that's today's episode done did what we talk about resonate with you I really hope you found some takeaways that may inspire you to make some small changes that enhance your daily life. And if you did find this episode insightful, please do consider sharing it. Knowledge and awareness is power, especially with ADHD. You can also head over to the show's Instagram page, which is ADHD Women's Wellbeing Pod, and join the community that's waiting for you there. And if this episode really did strike a chord, please do consider leaving us a review to enable more people who need to hear these conversations find the show thanks so much for joining me today and see you next time